Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Today, we are going to be getting into the Mavericks weekend home-and-home stretch at the Moda Center versus the Trailblazers, both 17-point losses. One game which Luka Doncic did play in, one game that he did not play in, which I believe he was announced out due to left ankle soreness, if I'm correct. Uh, I'm actually not. I think it it was somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was some sort of load managing tactic, essentially. After the Mavericks lost on the first night of a back-to-back that Saturday night where they lost one uh, 136 to 119 and then 140 to 123. Christian Wood did not play in the first game, but he did play in the second game. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., I know for a fact, did not play uh, because of an ankle injury in that second game. So, you know, Mavericks obviously dealing with a plethora of injuries in this game on top of the injuries that they already have to role players, Josh Green, Maxi Kleber, and Dorian Finney-Smith, who – Apparently, we could see Josh Green as soon as tomorrow night's game, um, yeah. Wednesday versus the Clippers, I believe. Uh, I think it's the Hawks. The Hawks. Yeah, I think it's the Hawks. I don't know what led me to believe it was the Clippers. I. Oh, uh, we do play the Clippers soon, so I'm sure that's. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that, that I guess that's where my train of thought was kind of leading. Um, but yeah, Josh Green is a uh, been fully scrimmaging five on five, and Jason, you know, media has kind of been on Jason Kidd's head as to why he hasn't played yet and wondering about that. But it seems as if they're kind of just fully vetting him and bringing him him up to speed before they really got everything going. So it all signs point towards him being back tomorrow night, which is obviously a positive sign. Uh, hopefully with, you know, Luca, uh, Tim, those guys are able to return as well unless they have something, uh, unless Tim's ankle injury is more severe than we originally thought or Luca's. um, you know, whatever he was dealing with is a little more serious than we thought. But nonetheless, we're going to go ahead and be getting into these two games, you know, two eerily similar games that the Mavericks lack of perimeter defense and ability to stop or inability rather to stop dribble penetration was on full display. Um, Did the second game, I would say was definitely treading in the right direction a lot better than the first one until the the fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah, Really until the second half of the third and then the whole fourth quarter. The Mavericks obviously, you know, had a rough two-game stretch here. Jaron, do you have any thoughts in terms of these two games versus the Blazers? Uh, Are you particularly, like, disheartened at these losses, or do you think that they were expected with the flurry of Maverick injuries? Or are you writing this off kind of as just like a, uh, you know, it's just a weird stretch of the season where we're injured, or do you view this more along the lines of, you know, these two losses, um, particularly – because, I mean, there is um, kind of credence to the fact that it is kind of hard to lose two times in a row when you're playing a team in the regular season, to lose two times in a row to that same team in consecutive games just because of scouting and game planning, uh, you being able to kind of counter whatever happened in the first game. Are you writing this off, especially with, with the Mavericks not having Luka in that second game and not having Christian Wood in the first game? Or do you think that these losses are actually emblematic of something bigger? Uh, you know, I think the first game is something that you can take away. Uh, if anything, you know, if you're if you're trying to point anger towards anything, it should be the first game. Uh, that's a game where the Mavericks were essentially full powered up until 
besides I mean, Christian of course, Wood. Yeah, well, besides or, Christian Wood. Uh, you know, obviously, I mean, they're dealing with a handful of injuries, but yeah, yeah. in terms of what they've been we, having. What we've seen the last few weeks. Yeah, what we've seen the last week. Minus Christian yeah. Wood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tim Hardaway, I think, in the third quarter, I think is whenever he had the anchor. But the game was basically under wraps at that point. Exactly, so exactly. Yeah. So it really didn't matter much. Um, yeah, but, I mean, pretty much from tip off to finish, I, I think we realized uh, very, very fast uh, in that first matchup how valuable Christian Wood was to this team because the second that Dwight Powell got in foul trouble, it kind of just seemed like the Mavericks pretty much put up the white flag and that was it. Um, I know that they weren't really ever close at any point in that game, but um, even still, I mean, I think if you have Christian Wood, it's an automatic automatic fighting chance, as we saw in that second matchup without Luka. Uh, but I'm not taking too much credence to that second loss because, again, we didn't have uh, Tim, we didn't have Luka, um, and, of course, the three other guys that are out. But that first matchup, I think if you're taking anything, it's just, you know, how depleted this center rotation is right now. Yeah, no. Earnestly, in the second matchup, like, I was honestly more so impressed more than anything, just due to the fact that if the Mavericks actually did have their full slate of defenders – um, and it was just a Luka-less game like we've seen in the past. It may have been a game that they actually would have had a chance at winning if they would have been able to um, stop the likes of Jeremy Grant and Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard or just obviously not stop those guys, but just be able to limit them a little more, um, kind of oust some of that dribble penetration that was so very prevalent within that fourth quarter. I think if they were able to stop that to a degree, then, I mean, that would have been one of the few games that Lucas missed that they would have actually had a chance, a chance to win in. Um, but regarding that first game, you know, definitely there's a huge indictment upon the team in terms of how they were, you know, kind of unable to effectively counter those four and three scenarios and how good the Blazers were able to trap Luca. I mean, I know the team ended up with 119 points, but there were some, there were still some uh, distinguishable offensive issues as well as like a plethora of defensive issues. Um, within both games, I think I think that that's my biggest takeaway. But we also have to recognize that the Mavericks personnel is still heavily fractured by these Josh Green, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Maxi Kleber injuries. And you know we'll get more into that towards the end of the podcast, where we'll talk about those guys returning and what the rotation is going to look like upon that. Jaden Hardy had a great second game where he had 25 points. It is a career high for him. That is definitely intriguing. I know a lot of Mavs fans are hyped about that. So there's a lot of different topics to get into between these two games. You know, we're definitely going to try to group them together since even though they are different in nature because of the players that we're playing respectively in both of the games being different, uh, they are eerily similar in terms of how the the on-court product was for the Mavericks. Uh, So I think that those are some compelling narratives we're going to be getting into, and we're going to be getting into all of those, of course. But before we do that, here's an ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, Jaron, so getting into it, as we were taking the ad break, it was actually just announced by Brad Townsend of the Dallas Morning News that Josh Green and Dorian Finney-Smith are virtually set in stone to make their return Wednesday night versus the Hawks. Tim Hardaway Jr. did not practice today, so I I would kind of uh, presume that that means he's probably not going to play tomorrow night, barring something um, kind of just coming out of left field and inhibiting him to be able to play because his ankle injury did look kind of – uh, wonky. I'm not going to try and play doctor here and act like I know what grade sprain it is or anything like that. Uh, but just given the fact that he didn't practice today, a uh, track record shows from Jason Kidd, if a guy doesn't practice the uh, day before, then he you typically doesn't play the ensuing game. Uh, so yeah. just based on that information, uh, before we actually get into these two Trailblazers games, you obviously want to cover this. What do you think is going to be different in terms of the Mavericks rotation? 
if Tim Hardaway Jr. is out for a couple games here, what's the starting lineup going to look like with Dorian and Josh coming back? How are the dynamics of the Mavericks defense going to change up and even potentially their offense? What all do you think might unfold basically over the next week or two if Dorian and Josh come back and Tim's out? Do you think Dorian and Josh are going to need a sort of built-in time for them to be incorporated? Are they going to be on any sort of minutes restriction? Do you think that they were out long enough or do you think they're kind of just going to be thrown into the fire? What do you, what do you, what do you exactly think is going to happen? Yeah. So like, you know, I mentally prepared for Josh Green coming back Wednesday night. I wasn't too confident in Dorian, but hearing this news is definitely, you know, amazing. Um, I think those two automatically get inserted into the starting lineup, especially with Tim Hardaway more than likely. I, I think at this point we could probably write him off for uh, Wednesday's game, maybe even Friday's game against Miami. Um, but more or less, you know, <clears throat> inserting those two, of course, with the depletion of like, how, you know, how how depleted this roster has been defensively, I think that those two just automatically lift a huge load off of, you know, Reggie, off of Frank, uh, all these, you know, sort of quote unquote defensive anchors that we have at that current, I guess, while those guys were hurt for the few weeks that they were. Um, offensively, you know, or I guess, I guess let me just dive into like what the starting lineup probably will be. I think it'll be Luca, Spencer, Christian, and then Josh and Dorian. Um, it's going to look a little different for the Mavericks. I don't think they've had like a starting lineup like that, especially with Tim Hardaway. He just sort of spaces out the floor a little better. Um, I get you have Dorian, who's a three-point shooter. And even, I mean, you can kind of argue Josh Green is a three-point shooter at this point. Um, but even still, I think that Tim, you know, the volume at which he shoots his shots, uh, I mean, he's taking 14 shots a game. Josh is taking what, like, I mean, at most probably like on average five to six, I would say. Um, and same with Dorian. I just don't think, you know, at the volume at which those two shoot, it's going to sort of open up the floor as much as Tim does. Um, but needless to say, I think the Mavericks can change up a little bit on what they do. I know Josh, you know, he likes to run the floor a little bit, run in transition. I think it'll speed the process up a little bit more uh, whenever we do get turnovers. Same with Spencer uh, and having, you know, sort of a guy that can run with him is going to be huge for him. Um, and I mean, just defensively, I think it, you know, it writes for itself that those two guys are, you know, arguably our two best defensive players on the team, uh, you know, getting Dorian a wing defender back, putting Reggie on the bench more than likely. Um, well, I, I, I don't know, starting five, you probably at this point with how Reggie had his 24 point performance. I don't know. We'll see. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you get Reggie or Josh on the bench, whoever it is. Uh, it just adds a little more defensive depth, of course, at the wing position position. And that's something that the Mavericks have been, we, we all know that they have uh, been hard or like that they have needed quite a bit, uh, especially with the perimeter sort of defense. So I think, you know, we're going to see a big difference uh, perimeter defensively and, you know, just how the offense is sort of run. I don't think it's going to be, I know that you mentioned if it, is it going to be like a transition getting these two back? Is it going to take a minute for them to, you know, get basketball savvy again or basketball in their shape before they were, uh, before their injuries? And I'm honestly, I think it's not going to take long. I, maybe this game is sort of like a hiccup period, but I really don't think it's going to take that long. I know Josh has been practicing quite a bit. Uh, I think that he's more prepared than anything. And then, you know, with Reggie or uh, with Dorian, I, I'm not sure what his update is. Um, it kind of just seemed like he was, you know, on the road to coming back, but I didn't think he'd come back this soon. Uh, so I guess getting him is kind of a treat, but um, I, I don't think there's going to be much of a hiccup period. I guess that's what I'm going to say. Uh, offensively, I think it's going to look a little different. I think, you know, like I said, it's going to be running the floor a lot more. And then defensively, of course, is going to be a lot better perimeter defense. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think in terms of both Josh and Dorian, they've both been practicing, you know, full scrimmage five on five for, I think, like the last two practices. I know Josh dating back to before the Portland road trip was practicing uh, fully five on five. And I know Dorian, I mean, at least was doing today. So that much at least gives me a little bit of confidence that they'll be a little more, you know, sort of tailor made to get thrown into the fire instead of it being a scenario where they were kind of rushed to have to get into everything, you know, kind of like maybe like right before a playoff series or something like that, where you're really just trying to rush an injury. They seem like they got really good full recovery periods uh, for both of their respective injuries, especially Josh, who I honestly think went a little over the projected timeline of what somebody typically has that injury is in terms of how long he was out. So I I do kind of concur with you there. I mean, we saw a guy even the other night, Nas Little for the Trailblazers, having not played since I think November 29th, and he came in and looked great for them. So I think that there is credence to the fact that it may not take long for them to be incorporated. They may not have a minutes restriction. They could easily come in there and start. I'm intrigued to see how they bring them along, though, like you said, or kind of alluded to, maybe they run with Reggie instead of Josh because of how good he's been shooting and how persistent he's been lately. I guess really not over an elongated stretch, but really just these last two games, he shot better, even though his defense has still kind of been very wishy-washy. So we're going to have to definitely see how that all pans out. In terms of how it works out offensively, I still think that Josh and Dorian allow for the floor to be spaced still. They're still both guys that are respectable shooters from beyond the arc. They definitely don't have the track record that a Tim has who can kind of come off of a, you know, a curl or a down screen and just basically come up and hit it or, you know, hit it with a hand in their face. They're definitely not going to be hitting as much of those, you know, heavily contested threes or as much of those transition threes that Tim's kind of bring into the table or, you know, occasionally he'll even pull it off the dribble. They're, they're not probably going to be able to do that, but, you know, you do have to recognize that both of these guys do bring elements offensively that Tim doesn't uh, particularly, you know, Dorian with his offensive rebounding and his cutting Josh obviously can work as the, primary ball uh, screener when Luca's getting blitzed in the pick and roll when work work as that outlet in a four on three scenario you know we obviously know how he's able to kind of come off DHOs and get downhill and be able to open up the floor with his passing so I think that it may be different but I don't know if it necessarily constitutes that it's going to be worse especially with the defensive versatility that they're going to be bringing on the other end so we're definitely going to have to see how it pans out but I think a lot of Mavericks fans early on in the season we're definitely sort of idealizing a starting lineup of Spencer Dinwiddie, Luka Doncic, Christian Wood, Josh Green, and Dorian Finney-Smith. And the fact that that might be on the agenda, especially since I don't think that they've really played a whole lot together. I don't have yeah. it pulled up on second spectrum or anything right here, but I don't think that that lineup has necessarily accumulated a lot of minutes together. Um, but I know a lot of Mavericks fans have been idealizing over it. It was like the... I believe it was like the cover photo for when the Mavericks busted out the retro jerseys. I think, um, yeah, I think those, were five I think guys. that those five were on the, the cover. A lot could argue that they're, I mean, maybe if you go name by name, they're not necessarily the best five Mavericks. You could probably argue Tim Hardaway Jr. Over one or two of those guys in that lineup. But at the same time, it might be the, it could end up being the best like coordinating and, in terms of how it is able to be synchronized together, it could be the best starting five that the Mavericks could bust out. 
we haven't really seen enough of a sample size to determine that, but obviously the defensive versatility in, in tandem with still having another ball handler out there and Dinwiddie <clears throat> and still having Luca and Wood on the floor is an intriguing aspect of all this. So it'll be interesting to see how it ends up panning out, like I said. Yeah. Um, but I, needless to say, I think the bottom line is that we're excited to get those guys back, those guys back. And for Tim's sake, I mean, just in terms of the trade deadline coming up and everything, I'm not trying to, you know, throw them out into the, the hay barrels quite yet. But uh, I guess we'll go ahead and see what exactly happens in terms of Tim and how his um, in terms of the asset management with him is treated because he is a guy that we've kind of identified as being movable around this trade deadline. Yep. Now, whether a package actually is able to form around him or anything of that nature, that's another discussion, but he's been a guy that, especially with how well he's been shooting in recent games lately has been a guy that is probably on the agenda for the Mavericks to move. Uh, at least I would presume uh, maybe they don't, who knows, but you would think just on how he's performing versus at the beginning of the season, probably upping his value some and being a guy who we don't really know how his long-term fit is in Dallas, he really could be on the horizon to be traded. So I hope that his injury isn't serious. And just for a health standpoint, obviously I don't want him being, you know, anybody being hurt for that matter. I just, I want him to get healthy. Even if Tim is not to be traded, you know, he is going to be essential, whether it's starting or coming off the bench. So hopefully that situation unfolds in a positive manner and he's not out for too long. He obviously hurt his ankle the other night in Portland, that first game. Um, but, you know, speaking of that, let's kind of move past that and let's get into these two games, you know, versus the Trailblazers, of course. Um, so kind of like speaking comparatively in terms of I kind of want to get into the offense force first before we dive into the defensive woes that the Mavericks had in these two games. Obviously, the Mavericks put up a combined 242 points in these games. So at face value, you're probably looking at this and like, OK, like what exactly went wrong? You know, they still weathered the storm with Luka out and scored 123 you know, all this and that, but I still do think that there were some pretty identifiable offensive woes that they kind of went through in both of these games, you know, particularly in that first game when Luca was getting blitzed in the four on three, um, and, or rather it created a four on three when Luca would get blitzed in the pick and roll, the Blazers kind of deferred to double teaming him almost every single possession with Christian Wood out. We saw the inability of Dwight Powell to really attack the rim. Uh, you know, he definitely, opts to pass out of those short roll scenarios a lot, which is definitely beneficial. But a lot of the times the Blazers defense was able to quickly recover out to shooters. And that while it is something that can be sustainable against some teams that are kind of lackluster on their rotations, the Blazers definitely have some liabilities in terms of their, in, you know, the lineups that they run out defensively and in terms of Lord and Nurkic, when you involve those two guys in a pick and roll, you know, good things can typically emanate out of that. But we do have to recognize that they do have a flurry of wing defenders that are pretty solid at that end, you know, with Jeremy Grant, Shaden Sharp, Josh Hart. Those are all guys who can definitely hedge and recover and get out to shooters pretty fast. And I thought, even though the Mavericks scored a lot of points and they shot well in both of these games, I, I still kind of felt like there were periods where the offense was stalling out. And if they hadn't had such a good shooting game, they definitely could have, um, bared some negative effects in terms of their offense on both of these games. So, you know, I guess comparatively speaking to both games, what did you see in the first game uh, versus the second game that you thought was better offensively? And what did you see in the second game versus the first game that you thought was better offensively? 
I mean, I mean, there's a flat out like difference. Uh, of course, in that first game we had Luca and we didn't have Christian Wood, and then that second game we didn't have Luca, but we had Christian Wood. Uh, I just think you know, sort of this lineup difference just creates a lot of like, uh, it, it creates a huge like, sort of gap and parallel in between these offenses right now. Uh, I guess like between these two games. Uh, in that first matchup, you know, Luca was getting blitzed at the point of attack and really couldn't you know get any offense formulated. He finished with only 15 points. I, I don't know if that's a season low. Uh, it was, I think he finished. It was a, a season low for him. Okay, I can remember because I can remember if he had like 13 or 17 in that game he got ejected from. But um, yeah, no, it, season low from Luca. Uh, and really, I mean, for Portland, they have such a, a strong five of like defensive players that I mean they can pretty much do whatever they want. They can dictate, you know, especially whenever Christian Wood is someone who you know can't really operate in a three on four. Uh, that's Dwight I'm speaking of. Uh, like <laughs> Dwight can't really operate in a, in a three on four scenario. I mean, he's uh, he's really good at passing out of those scenarios. I don't want to try. No, to, yeah, um, but you know, he's like just strain him of his credit or anything. But no, I mean, he's he's much. I'd much more be comfortable with Christian Wood. We've seen it a lot of times this season, uh, where Christian Wood can maintain his water whenever in that scenario he can either you know take a three, uh, drive in, or dump it off to the dunker spot, whoever is open. Um, but needless to say, it, it was just really a scramble, uh, pretty much offense and the Mavericks. I mean, in all fairness, they were able to hit almost 50% of their threes. Uh, they hit 22 of 46. Um, but, yeah, I think it was just, you know, pretty much just a scramble. It was pretty much a race around the horn. Uh, whoever was open was taking the shot. Luckily, it was, you know, Reggie Bullock making eight of ten of his uh, three-point field goals. And then, of course, Davis Bertans was going off a little bit here and there. Um, but, I, I, I mean, I just don't know. Like, between that second game, I guess Spencer also made some threes, but – between that second game and the first game, it was like really just a, a big difference um, and how the offense was run. Like that first game was definitely uh, just much more scramble, I guess. And then that second game was honestly run pretty well. The Mavericks were keeping up with the Blazers quite often up until, as you alluded to in the intro, that was like halfway through the third and basically the whole fourth. Um, and I mean, like, you know, with Christian Wood on the floor, like I said, it, you just can do a lot more things. Even whenever Luca's out, there's just a lot more things that you can do with Christian Wood on the floor. Um, and he, he was able to pretty much exploit that uh, for the Portland defense. You know, Nurkic is a guy that isn't really used to, I guess, stepping out. Uh, Dwight, you know, much more offensively, I would say, you know, definitely doesn't hit the threes, but he can at least space the floor a little bit uh, just in the sense that he's an athletic big. Um but yeah, I mean, I just, you know, it was able to space the floor out a lot more and the Mavericks were able to keep up scoring in that second matchup uh, up until that third quarter and fourth quarter, of course. But just that first matchup was just pretty much scramble offense. And the Mavericks, I mean, to their credit, they hit what I said, like 48% of their threes. Uh, but definitely had it been like more of a, a, a more of a usual night from the three-point line, it probably would have looked a lot different. No, 100%. I think it was really interesting to see the you know, stark differences in play style when we go game to game. Like it was very much heliocentric in terms of the Mavericks operating a lot around Luca per usual in that first game versus in the second game. We saw a lot more ball movement around the perimeter. A lot of guys that maybe normally don't try to attack up a closeout, try to, you know, furbish themselves within, with inside the paint and create driving lanes for themselves. Not necessarily saying that that operated successfully every time, but it, it was definitely, definitely a different look. We saw the Mavericks run a lot more in transition in that second game. Yeah. 
that first game, the Mavericks shot very well, as you alluded to, 22 for 46 from three. Spencer, I think, had a great positive regression shooting game. He went four for six from three in that game, eight for 12 from the field. He was just pulling it, man, and he was doing a great job of it. I mean, both games he shot really well, but his um, assertiveness in the second game with Luca being out was definitely, you know, emblematic of a guy who knew what he had to do with some, uh, you know, with the best player being out, and he definitely got after it. So I was definitely happy that he, you know, exploited mismatches and things of that nature in that second game, even more so. But, I mean, he had a great game playing off of Luca in that first game, offensively at least. And, it, you know, it's kind of weird. Like, we, we see a game here, of course, where the Mavericks shot the ball extremely well in that first game, 22 for 46, yet they still lose by 17. I guess that was kind of what I was referencing to is like the offense seemed to stall at some points because in the time periods where the Mavericks really couldn't create open shots, uh, there was really no offensive gen- offense being generated, but they were kind of able to tread water just due to the sheer amount of threes that they were making. You know, Reggie was shooting at, you know, was operating in the pick and pop with Luca a ton in that game. The Mavericks were, you know, really swinging it out of, you know, out of the perimeter once they got the ball moving in those four and three scenarios, you know, with when Powell was able to kind of get it out there. But the Mavericks weren't really able to play with pace and the three-point shooting was not sustainable game to game kind of as we saw. I mean, not to the degree that it was in the first game where they shot 22 for 46. So, you know, speaking of that second game specifically, you know, obviously the Mavericks not operating offensively really as much with that heliocentric play style. Spencer was definitely the lead ball handler, but we saw definitely probably a sort of increased prerogative by the Mavericks to get the ball to different guys. McKinley Wright and Jaden Hardy played a lot more and those guys attacked and ran out and transitioned more. So, you know, even Frank offered a little bit of offensive uh, variety in that second game where he was taking some uh, mid-range pull-up shots, was trying to get to the rim a few times. So they definitely tried to weather the storm by committee, which was a really interesting look versus kind of having Spencer as your bailout guy. And then Luca, you know, dribbling the ball most of the possession and trying to create something out of that and having Dinwiddie as, you know, because, well, Dinwiddie is a secondary playmaker on this team. There's a lot of points in time, especially this amidst this Luca stretch where Luca has just been, you know, so damn good offensively that it's like, okay, why do we even go to Spencer to try and alleviate any sort of stress from Doncic on this possession? Because, I mean, it's almost a guaranteed bucket from some person that, you know, either Luca's going to create an open shot or he's going to be able to, get a good shot for himself. Um, but to see, you know, that's why I guess I was so impressed with how Spencer was kind of able to operate game to game, you know, playing second fiddle in that first game, still being, you know, having a really good shooting night. Had he not shot the ball that well, maybe he doesn't score that much, of course, but then coming in the second game and still being that lead ball handler, but also not to a point where it seemed heliocentric or Doncic-esque. He was still, getting the ball around the perimeter and guys were attacking off closeouts and guys, you know, we, we saw some hardy pick and rolls at times. We saw McKinley Wright operating within the pick and roll, trying to create some own offense for himself. So that sort of variety uh, game to game was really cool. And I, I definitely um, am really happy with this stretch that Spencer had amidst these two games, but nonetheless um, talk just about that second game, how, the Mavericks were able to stay with Portland offensively, at least uh, up until really that third quarter, you know, halfway mark 
just from weathering the storm with all these different role players, you know, in Nitlakina, McKinley Wright, Jaden Hardy, those guys being able to step up and fill a void that Luca left, of course. I mean, not to the extent that, you know, they weren't able to full, fill all of the, sh- the whole shoe that Luca left, uh, but they were maybe, maybe able to fill it up to where, um, you know, maybe there was only space for maybe a, another big toe or two in there. Uh, that was a weird analogy, but we're just going to roll with it because um, it kind of sort of made sense. So <laughs> how do you think that the Mavericks were able to weather the storm a little more in that second game offensively and just keep pace with the Blazers until their defense fell apart? while they had to do it by committee with Luca out, of course, and, you know, they were relying upon these other ball handlers. And do you think that that's going to be sustainable game to game? Yeah. I mean, this was quite literally, literally the definition of like ball handler by committee. I mean, we saw Frank, we saw Spencer, of course. Uh, We even saw Christian Wood bring it up a little bit. Um, Jane Hardy. I think that, you know, in terms of ball handler, that's pretty much about it, but that's four guys right there that brought the ball up. Um, probably more than three times this game. I know Spencer was definitely the more, um, I guess, he, he definitely brought it up the most in this game. Uh, but we saw Frank, he even got seven assists in this one. Frank is much more of, at least in the second matchup, he was much more of like a facilitator, I would say. He only went one of five, but he was opening up the floor a little bit and just what he can do on his passing. Um, it, more or less, you know, it. he was, I, I mean, I don't even know how to say it. Like, he was able to drive in the floor and then kind of kick it out to guys. Uh, the Mavericks didn't shoot like an insane clip from three, but even just Spencer driving uh, sort of opened up the floor a little bit. As we see, you know, with, with Luca, what he does so well is, you know, he drives and it pretty much magnifies the defense in automatically and creates open shooters. Um, we got to see a little glimpse of Spencer doing that in the sense uh, he finished with nine assists in this one, uh, pretty much solely either due to, you know, the touch pass here and there on a, you know, around the horn scenario or uh, driving in and just finding an open corner shooter. Um, we even saw Christian Wood, uh, he got off to a little bit of a slow start in this one. And I mean, he didn't finish with insane numbers, uh, but we definitely saw him clean up the boards. He, he got an amazing 16 boards was really the only guy that could grab a rebound in this game. Um, I mean, we finished where we saw some guys sort of alleviate, uh, the rebounding category, but Christian Wood was definitely huge in this one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was just much more of a, I don't want to say, basketball sort of game but the Mavericks were able to I guess have more guys involved other than you know the usual one two or three um you know we saw Chris Wood Reggie got involved there uh Dwight finished with 10 points Spencer of course Davis um McKinley Wright had a moment here and there and then of course Jane Hardy I mean Jane Hardy is huge in this game just with the sense of driving uh, and running the floor whenever in transition um but yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, big thing that take away from this second game was just, you know, honestly, how well the Mavericks handled the situation. I think that this was by far the best game that the Mavericks have played without Luka. Um, I believe they're 0-5 now without him. But even still, that one um, at halftime felt like a win because I think they were only down by five or something like that. Um, they took the lead weird. in the third quarter. Yeah, they did take. Yeah, they had a lead at one point in the fourth quarter or uh, third quarter early on, I believe. Um, and yeah, I mean, hey, my confidence definitely rose in this team. Uh, but needless to say, it definitely fell apart, uh, throughout that game and throughout the second half. Uh, but, you know, just offensively, I think it was a different look for the Mavericks. They were able to, you know, sort of run the ball with different guys. And that's, that's a look that the Mavericks just haven't seen at all. Uh, even in those Luca list games, the first few ones, I mean, it was pretty much just all Spencer trying to do work. 
um, or Christian Wood trying to do work. And this was the first one where I think the Mavericks actually held their water, actually got guys involved um, that necessarily aren't usually involved, aka Frank. Um, we, you know, Hardy again had a huge game. Um, but I think that this was definitely a glimpse of, you know, what could be uh, if the Mavericks just not, not what could be, but, you know, this is definitely, if ever Luca gets hurt, this is probably the offense that the Mavericks run with um, bearing a trade or anything like that. So it, it was honestly pretty promising uh, again, up until that second half, but I, you know, I was pretty pleased with it. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me, I would probably push back in terms of my expectations for this. I think that the Mavericks definitely, I mean, I don't know. I just don't think I've seen enough of a sample size in terms of, you know, how just, you know, outright bad those first four games without Luca were and the ball handling by committee situation, not really being able to mend itself for me to label this game versus the trailblazers as a sort of cure-all or like give me any confidence going forward that they can sustain playmaking, you know, without Luca on the floor. But it was nice to see that they were able to do so in a game like this. I will say as much, while the Blazers do have, like, really good wing depth and wing defenders, you know, a lot of their issues do lie from the standpoint that, you know, when you're running Anthony Simons and Lillard out there, those obviously aren't the two strongest defenders at the point of attack. So you can only, you know, especially in that starting lineup that they do play a lot together, they obviously have a kind of a plethora of guys to throw at you off the bench and Nas Little, uh, who played in the second game and not the first. You know, Gary Payton, of course, who's probably one of the best defenders in the league. Shaden Sharp, you know, Jeremy Grant, Josh Hart. Like, these are all, you know, great defenders. Don't get me wrong. But they they do operate with that starting lineup quite a bit. Uh, we do have to recognize that, of course. And, you know, within that starting lineup, Simons and Lillard, you know, you can really only kind of stick Hart on one of Dinwiddie or, you know, Nitlikina or whatever. And, you know, a lot of times Hart would have to – you know, one of those wing guys end up having kind of would have to would end up getting switched onto wood and would have to defend him if Nurkic uh, was just kind of getting torched in the pick and roll or wasn't out there, things of that nature. So I do think that the Mavericks guard play was kind of able to benefit a little bit from that, just from the standpoint that those guys, you know, are weaker defenders at the point of attack. But nonetheless, it was exciting to see that they were able to weather the storm to an extent without Luca is the first time we really seen it this season. Also, really the first time that we've like in a stretch where, you know, well, not a stretch, but in a game where Luke is not playing that we saw McKinley Wright and Jaden Hardy get like real minutes. I, If I recall in the previous four matchups, they really weren't as much part of the rotation or they were with the legends. Maybe they played a little bit in that fourth matchup, but I know for sure in those first three games, Luca was out. I don't remember them playing uh, as far as my recollection serves me. So, you know, there are – it is kind of compelling to see that the Mavericks were able to do this in a game that Luka was out. But I, in conclusion, I just don't think it was a big enough sample size uh, for me to really, you know, jump the gun and say, oh, like they have enough offensive firepower and playmaking to be able to, to, be able to sustain Luka being out, nor do uh, Jaden Hardy or McKinley Wright's ascension, you know, even though they have provided great minutes and I'm very excited about how they can maybe fare out in the future, especially Hardy. I, I don't think neither of those guys are consistent enough yet for me to be like, okay, like the third ball handler situation is fine, right? That they, they still definitely have some woes that they're going to have to attend to in terms of the playmaking department. They, both of those guys can score and, you know, Wright 
he's even probably a better facilitator than we give him credit for, you know, definitely a better facilitator than Hardy, but I, I still wouldn't go as far as to be like, okay, like these guys are the third playmakers, you know, on this roster. So, you know, I guess kind of, after, you know, peeling back from that, we kind of diagnosed, you know, some of the offensive woes with the Mavericks, but also some of the positives within these two games. We talked, you know, I talked a lot about Dinwiddie and how he was able to just come downhill, draw so many fouls within both of these games, particularly that second game and how he was shooting so well, uh, really creating for himself as, as much as he could, you know, taking advantage of those matchups when he got matched up on a Simons or Lillard, you know, just basically taking to the rim, posting up. He always does such a good job posting up against these smaller guards. Christian Wood obviously weathered the storm despite a bad shooting night on that second end of the back-to-back in which he played. And, you know, once he really started to get going, he was able to serve as a great offense. You know, he had four offensive rebounds. He was doing good in the pick and roll despite not having Luca to open up as much space to operate with. You know, he was still finding ways to be a good rim roller and rim runner uh, when the opportunity presented itself. And, you know, he was, you know, he was taking Nurkic off the dribble a few times. So in a game where he didn't shoot the best. It was encouraging to see that he still had, you know, a great 23 and 16 double double despite him having a bad shooting night. So obviously we talked a lot about, you know, those guys offensively, but we do talk about a lot of those guys game to game. Two guys that I really want to get into, of course, are going to be Jaden Hardy and Frank Nitlikina. I guess first starting with Hardy, he obviously didn't play as much in that first game, but particularly in that second game, speak to how he was able to score and you know, what, if any playmaking he was able to provide within the half court offense, you know, barring just his transition opportunities and the catch and shoot threes that were created, you know, via when the Blazers were blitzing Dinwiddie in a pick and roll. And he simply was just the outlet guy or got a hockey assist from Dinwiddie in a scenario like that. Like what exactly was he doing from a creation aspect and a transition aspect and, you know, just being able to attack off closeouts, things of that nature. How was he able to really furbish himself on the offensive end in that second game. And then we'll get to Nitlikina after that. Yeah, you know, Jaden Hardy, he did an amazing job uh, necessarily in that second matchup. Or uh, in that second matchup, he did an amazing job just sort of driving. Uh, and his drives, uh, let me just say, like, he is so quick off the first step. Um, just the way that he can create his own offense simply by driving and simply by just going downhill uh, with the ball is just insane. Uh, especially for how young he is and how inexperienced he is at the pro level. Um, I mean, it's, it's honestly incredible. And, you know, the way that he can tort his body uh, or can contort his body into like drawing fouls and sort of, you know, getting the N one and finishing it's, it's crazy. Uh, and that's sort of, you know, everything in a nutshell of what we saw from him in that second matchup, um, you know, getting to the foul line, uh, making open jump, or it, he went three of 10 from three point line, but he, the three makes that he did make were pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, I mean, just an efficient night at the rim, I would say, uh, is where we saw most of his field goals made and attempted, um, and getting to the foul line, he had multiple and ones, uh, multiple times where he was able to get to the foul line. I, you know, in sort of his, uh, I guess, facilitating mode, uh, he's just a little too ball hogish, but that's kind of how he runs his offense is just, you know, him and a guy or getting triple teams or whatever it may be. That's just how he does it. Um, but yeah, we saw him multiple times just sort of pass up on an open jumper or not pass up on an open jumper, but pass up on an open jump shooter um, and instead taking it to the hoop. And sometimes it resulted in a stupid result. And sometimes he got to the foul line because of it. No, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, he his finishing is honestly maybe if not better than Dinwiddie's equal to it. 
And I mean, his ability to contort his body midair and absorb contact and still have the uh, presence of mind to be able to like finish with either hand is really like wildly impressive. I mean, it's not even really something that like Luca has because yes, like Luca can contort his body and finish in all these sort of different ways. But the hang time that we were seeing from Jaden Hardy, you know, in this 25 point outing and some of his other really good offensive offensive performances this season. I mean, it's like comparable to like really like two guys that we were actually watching both these games with Simons and Lillard, like when they get to the basket, like they can hang with whatever rim protectors up there for a second or two and they're able to finish at the rim and to be able to, you know, see Hardy potentially develop into like a Simons-esque player one day is very captivating and intriguing to me. And I mean, his offensive performance the other night uh, was very emblematic of the ability to get out in transition, hit catch and shoot threes, attack off closeouts. And I mean, occasionally we saw a couple pick and rolls that he ran with Wood where he was able to get downhill and score, you know, just come, comes off a lot of curl offs and DHOs. Like there's a play where they were that they ran for him a few times over the last couple of games. I've noticed where he gets a down screen at the um, weak side wing comes off, and gets the ball at like the nail and just goes like straight downhill from there and uses quickness to get to the rim. And he has such good touch on his shots where he's able to get it like high up there on the glass and it's able to drop. So there's a lot of different things that they can kind of run with him, even if not involving him as a secondary or third playmaker, um, just a lot of different offensive actions that just because of how diverse his offensive portfolio is that they're able to do those sort of things. Right. So I, I think we got the full array of things from Jaden Hardy. I mean, good and bad in that game. I mean, yes, it was a, wildly impressive offensive performance but at the same time there were a lot of those you know clumsy turnovers like rookie mistakes like I I, alluding to one time I can't remember the reference I mean the scenario specifically but I remember Hardy went up and just got his absolute like life swatted away by I believe um do you do you recall who was by was it was it sharp it might have been sharp yeah. 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 Damn near like snatch blocked him. And obviously, like having the presence of mind to know when to drive and when to not, you know, and not to take on three on one scenarios and slow it down a little bit and, you know, make the right read. Those are still going to be things in the developmental process. But I mean, we said it, they said it on the broadcast last night. And I mean, obviously, the, he, he kind of says some outlandish things sometimes. But I mean, Derek Harper said the guy is forming up to be a star in this league at some point. I mean, just the way that he projects already, if he's able to really iron out some of the intricacies and fine tune the little aspects of the, of his game offensively that involve, you know, just taking a step back and really reading out the situation because all that's teachable because um, the talent is, uh, you know, we, I think it speaks for itself. And I, I honestly, he, he could be a, a great steal for where the Mavericks got him at pick 32nd last year's or pick 37th in last year's draft. No, for sure. Uh, yeah. Especially the sort of, I guess, value at which the Mavericks drafted him uh, with that 37th pick and just trading. I think it was a future second for him. Two future uh, seconds I mean, to the Kings. Two, yeah. Two future seconds. Yeah. I knew it was one or two. Um, honestly, I mean, this guy, you know, I know it's really early, uh, but he could be a perennial like offensive star in this league. Uh, given a few more years and some development and, you know, just some scenarios that we need to put him in. Uh, but this game, you know, has to get you excited at least to see what he can do in the future and see what he can produce with Luca around him. Uh, I know Luca wasn't involved in this game at all, but 
even still, uh, I mean, the future's bright. Having him come off the bench, you know, for the next probably year, uh, even if he finds find some sort of a role uh, before the playoffs or even during the playoffs, that'd be huge. Uh, and then in his second year, I mean, if he can involve and be productive off the bench consistently, I mean, that would just be amazing for, uh, I mean, just his future rise and also just what, you know, in a few years from now, because we, we knew this would be a project whenever we drafted him. Uh, we knew it'd take a few years, but of, um, you know, just to develop this guy year by year is just something that uh, I think the Mavericks pretty much need to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, seeing him do this and pop off for 25, I know it wasn't against the best, you know, sort of team, because again, I mean, they were up by quite a bit at the point that he started going, but even still, I mean, that just has to get you a little excited. No, 100%. It was a very exciting game from that standpoint. Anytime we get to see a hearty party performance, we're always going to be psyched over here, mainstream Mavs. But uh, next, I know you want to get a little, before we like dip into the defense of both of these two games, of course, you want to talk a little bit about Frank and his offensive production. I mean, me personally, I didn't really see anything um, out of the norm in these last two games for him or anything that really threw me a left hook and was like, oh, you know, I'm, that surprised me. Um, this is new from Frank, but I do think that there's something there in terms of we're actually seeing a little bit of an offensive uh, consistency in his game. He's not, you know, the, he he's having less and less of these, like, you know, I know he had a one for five game, but I mean, he's contributing something on that end rather than kind of just perpetually standing in a corner, whether, you know, it's the occasional attack off a closeout or, you know, him pulling up for a little floater or just making a catch and shoot three. He does a lot. And he looks a lot more confident out there or something. Yeah, he, does. he definitely doesn't look as timid. He, he's actually running out of transition. I mean, obviously the defense is, you know, his stronghold, but I mean, you know, he had seven assists the other night and, you know, a lot of it was, you know, virtue of, you know, just being a good ball mover, but he, he was able to find some guys in the pick and roll a few times and, you know, get downhill and make a few good passes. Do you think that he actually has a spot in this rotation now? I, th I think that that's probably what you were trying to get at with when you wanted to, you know, you're like, Hey, well, let's, let's do a little segment on Frank. And I was like, do you think, you know, and I guess my first question there was like, okay, like, is this you trying to say that you're just kind of impressed by the last little stretch by him? Or do you think that he like legitimately has something to contribute at the end of the bench? No, I mean, I, you know, I think it's fair to say, of course, I think it was the first matchup where he really started to uh, like score the ball a little bit. Um, but I've been impressed by him all season. Uh, I think, you know, he's definitely a comparable guy off the bench. I'm not saying he's going to start. I'm not saying he's, you know, you know, in these numbers of one of the most improved players on the team. I, I'm not saying that by any means, but uh, the guy, you know, he has some sort of an offensive touch finally, uh, whether that be, you know, just finding the right guy, you know, finding the open guy around the horn or whatever it may be. Um, you know, we've seen him develop this sort of mid-range jumper that I don't think we've seen in years past. No. Um, and also, I mean, he's consistent, not consistently, but he's at least shooting three ball one to two times a game uh, and making, you know, usually one of those uh, if he shoots more than two. Um, I think that that's just really comparable to this offense. I'm not saying he's going to produce, you know, a lot on that end. Uh, the defense comes with it, of course. I think that's, you know, as you said, that's definitely a strong suit. That's definitely has been a strong suit, suit throughout his career. Um, but yeah, just being able to, you know, sort of attack off these sort of closeouts uh and you know just get a little mid-range pop uh that's definitely huge um we also saw him attack the paint a little bit we got to see him you know sort of attack uh Nurkic a little bit and get some down low points uh and even just operate in the pick and roll 
um, being the sort of facilitator in that. I think that that was huge to what we, you know, could see out of him. I'm not saying, you know, again, like he's going to start or anything like that, but uh, a comparable guy off the bench to, you know, not alleviate ball pressure or ball handling or anything like that, but he can at least bring some pressure uh, to the defense that I don't think a lot of teams really like really even realize he that he'd had. Um, I know for a fact <laughs> coming into this season, we definitely didn't think that he had this and to seem to develop this has definitely been, you know, huge in his remark and also for the team. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a small sample size, so I don't know how much credence I take to, you know, some sort of insane offensive game uh, like newly and widely renowned Frank Nilekina offensive game you know he's not you know stepping into the role of the third ball handle or anything like that but I will say as much that he does look a little more competent on offense he does look a little more comfortable he's at least not you know just stand in the corner and only shoot threes you know he was always definitely going to be project more so as a three and D player versus a third ball handler I think that that's a very um that narrative definitely still applies and carries over. But at the same time, I think we do have to recognize that him at least filling in the gaps in some areas where he at times last year, didn't even look like an offensive basketball player. Um, now he actually looks like halfway competent. I, I do think it does make him maybe at least applicable to fill in the gaps at the end of that rotation, maybe be the last guy in the rotation that gets time. I mean, I'm sure that'll kind of be, when the roster's fully healthy, like Hardy will get some minutes. He'll get some minutes. But, you know, I, I do think he's carved out a little bit of a role for himself. He got the start the other night. Like, he's doing some different things that are actually pretty contributory to the team. And, you know, all while doing that, he's still playing really good defense. Even the other night, I know he had quite, like, the Herculean task of having to slow down Simons and Lillard and, you know, in different stretches, having to apply on-ball pressure to both of those guys. Nobody's really going to be able to defend them. A lot of times he got caught up behind a screen or something and was just not able to recover. But, I mean, I thought he did about as good of a job on them as one can really hope. I thought he, in that second game in particular, he did a pretty decent job on Simons. Um, you know, Lillard is by all means necessary, just a complete, um, a complete, like, I guess, just unfazed offensive player, no matter really what you throw at him he if he's on he's on so and in these last two games he definitely was um so from that perspective I was impressed by Frank but you know like I kind of was alluding to there I let's go ahead and get into the defense these last two games before we end the podcast where do you think the Maverick where where's the Mavericks biggest liability in these last two games and you know I guess outside of Lillard who is going to be able to attack and get downhill and virtually do kind of whatever he wants, regardless if the Mavericks had their full array of defenders out there, he still would have had a very positive impact on the game for the trailblazers. What kind of rubbed you the wrong way about these last two games, even though we know the Mavericks personnel excuses, I'm not trying to, you know, throw them a, throw them shade and, you know, try to act as if their injuries don't exist and that they were just the most healthy squad in the world in the world ready to, you know, counter an uber-talented offensive team in the Trailblazers. But, you know, there were some noticeable, you know, wrongdoings and a lot of misrotations, things of that nature. Uh, what was going wrong on defense? Yeah, I mean, it, strictly this has been the problem since uh, we saw Dorian and Josh get hurt. It's been perimeter defense. Um, and, I mean, again, like late rotations, as you said just a minute ago, uh, it's definitely not helped the Mavericks' case to build, you know, somewhat of a defensive I, I somewhat of a defensive DNA 
uh, throughout this stretch of these guys being injured the last few weeks. Um, but I mean, Portland, I'm not saying that they're a bad three-point shooting team. I'm actually not sure what their numbers are all season, but getting 44 shots up in that second matchup and then getting 41 shots up in that uh, first matchup, both making 17 in the game. Um, I mean, that's just I, I, that just speaks volume to what this perimeter defense has been able to do. Um, I know Nurkic, uh, particularly in that first matchup, was able to get really – he was able to operate really good down low. Uh, and that was again to the due to the absence of Christian Wood. Um, you know, just sticking Dwight on Nurkic. Uh again, you know, he got an early foul. Uh Dwight being that or Dwight that being in the first matchup got in really early foul trouble. He had like four fouls in that second quarter, I think. Um, definitely hindered the Mavericks. Uh, and seemingly, you know, as soon as that happened, the Portland Portland was just able to pretty much go downhill whenever they pleased. Uh, I know JaVale's not the most comparable. Uh, he's not the most, you know, alleviating big man in the league. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was definitely something that I noticed was as soon as I guess Nurkic was able to exploit the defense or exploit the offense. Uh, or no, yeah, exploit the defense of Dwight Powell and everything like that. It just formula, uh, seemingly fell apart from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, late rotations uh, involved three point shooting. Um, and I mean, Portland did not have a absence of three point shooting again, putting up an insane 41 and a half percent in that first matchup. And then I think it was like 38%, uh, 39% actually, um, which I'm sure is over their team average. Um, but yeah, I mean, and this is, you know, again, I mean, this isn't a case of Portland just making shots. Uh, again, I mean, they shot an insane clip at both these games, but you have to realize like teams have been shooting an insane clip. The Clippers, they shot an insane clip over the Mavericks. No, these are all like wide open shots. But yeah, all wide open shots. That's the yeah, that's the point that I'm getting at. It's like it's the Mavericks defense is that it uh that's what's allowing these shots to be so open and just honestly, I mean, a jump shot or a warm-up shot at that point. Um but yeah, I mean, we've seen time after time, uh Jeremy Grant, he got an open shot. We even saw Anthony Simons get multiple open shots, and that's like their leading three-point shooter, I believe, uh, in both these matchups. Um, I mean, it was just nice that the Mavericks at least had some form of offense in both these games to where they could, you know, do the part and can, uh, like at least, um, be hip to hip to this team for at least a while, uh, in both these matchups. But I mean, uh, the perimeter defense is definitely what led to the Mavericks downfall. Just the, the sheer amount of shooting that the Portland or that Portland could get outside, uh, only led to the, you know, the collapse and eventually, you know, Dwight getting in foul trouble or whatever it was, um, Christian Wood was definitely a huge addition uh, in that second matchup, but even still, it just kind of seemed like Portland, as soon as they saw the first matchup and as soon as they saw what they could exploit on the offensive side of things, you know, they were just like, okay, well, you know, this is going to be wraps. Y'all don't have Luca. Um, I mean, good luck. So that that's the big thing that I noticed was definitely perimeter defense, just being late, late rotations, uh, whether it was Hardy. Um, yeah. I mean, there was multiple guys that I can point out, but uh, I mean, that, that was really the big thing. I think perimeter defense just led to the downfall and eventually, you know, led to inside scoring by uh, Lillard, uh, Nurkic, of course. We even saw Shaden Sharp get in there, get involved in there a few times, even Anthony Simons. I mean, there's just multiple guys that you can point out. Yeah, I mean, I think all of those are great points as to why the Mavericks defense was as liable it was these last two games, just in terms of the dribble penetration that they were allowing. I mean, I'm not going to try to, you know, basically exclude the fact that the, you know, trailblazers point of attack offensive players are, you know, really prevalent and really good. I mean, you got a guy in Jeremy Grant, who's able to take basically any smaller defender into the low post, shoot over them, uh, get to the rim with a variety of different sort of stop and go 
uh, dribble moves and Euro steps. Lillard and Simons are lethal coming downhill. Both can hit a shot when a guy goes under on a screen. I mean, I'm not saying it's not a lot to deal with. Obviously, the Mavericks would able, be able to counter a little more of it if they weren't as injury depleted that the, as they were. Um, I mean, even like tactically, they kind of tried as much as they really could. They didn't really go to, you know, that two, three, you know, that coveted like two, three zone that we see them go to at times amidst this two game stretch. The Blazers did play some zone uh, throughout a lot of the time, which um, the Mavericks, I thought actually on offense did a decent job getting to the middle of their zone at times. There were some times where um, the Blazers were definitely able to force the action. The Mavericks had to hoist up some late shot clock threes um, just in terms of how good they were. Um in terms of how synchronized they were on that zone, especially like when Lillard and Simons were at the game and some of those late game lineups, you know, more so garbage time minutes when they were just throwing like their young wings out there. I mean, like they, they got some guys that can guard, that's for sure. Um, even though they may not have the best on and off like defensive numbers because of what their starting lineup is, they do have a lot of good defenders, but you know, just the stylistically how they have to play, you know, having to include Lillard, Simons and Nurkic in that starting lineup, it obviously limits your defensive versatility a little, but I mean, the trailblazers, the, the good thing about them come playoff time is they will be able to throw some defensive lineups if need be um, that are going to be a lot more lethal than I think, you know, some of the ones that they've included thus far in the late regular season. Um, but to say the least, you know, pointing back to the Mavericks defense, like they tried some matchups on the Lord. They were blitzing him in the pick and roll a few times, uh, especially in that second game more so. I honestly thought that they should have doubled Lord more just in terms of how lethal he was. I mean, there was, legitimately no answer I mean there was like one play where he had like that and one I believe it was on it was either Bertans or Christian Wood where he was just like falling back and just like hoisted up and it just dropped in I mean he was after a previous two game stint I mean I or I believe it was the had the Mavericks only played the Trailblazers once before this no they so uh after this most recent game they split the series two and two so they played two times before. okay yes they played two times before and Lure definitely wasn't as prevalent in those matchups at the AAC but and these last two, I mean, he was on one. There was virtually no stopping him. So I think that they should have maybe deferred to doubling him a little more, maybe, you know, playing a little more of that matchup zone. Now, albeit when they were playing matchup zone, Teed was or Tim Hardaway Jr. was like the lead ball handling defender. So, I mean, I don't – the Blazers were kind of able to yeah. uh, decipher that code pretty quick and uh, get things moving on the agenda and really derail that. So the Mavericks didn't – really go to that all too often but I think they had a variety of things that they could have maybe tried I would take my chances with Simon attacking off a closeout versus Lillard one-on-one with anybody I mean like he he's one of the best players on the game and I mean throughout like you know you don't get to he may not get the most national media coverage just because he's been doing it in the same place for so long but I mean Night in, night out. I mean, this guy's on a tear right now. He's averaging like 35 through his last like few games. I mean, especially in that second game where I wasn't, you know, getting my full diet of getting to soak in Luca's greatness. I really got a chance to soak in Dame's greatness. And I know we don't really talk too glowingly about other guys on this podcast or go like wildly in depth into him. We'll of course mention them, but I mean, that was one of the, his two game stretch against the Mavericks was definitely one of the more impressive performances I've seen from any player against the Mavs this season. Uh, it may have not been the most Herculean effort in terms of the amount of points he scored. And, you know, there's been some guys that maybe gone off for more, uh, but I mean, yeah. just in terms of being able to affect the game at all three levels offensively, just in terms of how multifaceted he is, how he operates within the pick and roll, just 
you know, coming off down screen, shooting, like he just does everything. I mean, he's, he's one of the best players in the game still. And even as he's creeping over 30, I mean, so I mean, that, that was really a privilege to be able to watch him. Um, but besides that, I mean, what else did you notice from the Mavericks defensively or, or offensively for that matter, uh, before we kind of end this podcast here that, you know, you either liked, disliked, just, you know, any, if you want to maybe mention a few players that got to play, you know, I know Theo Pinson got a little bit of run in both of these games. Like, you want to talk about anybody else before we end the podcast? Yeah, um, I guess just running down the score sheet here, I you know, I felt like uh, Theo had a very productive second game. Um, he played 21 minutes in this matchup. Or, uh, sorry, the first matchup is where he had a productive game. Um, let me see. Let me pull this up. So, yeah, he played 13 minutes, but it was pretty productive 13 minutes, um, whether it was, you know, passing the ball or, you know, making the right reads. Uh, he even scored the ball. He had 11 points in this matchup. Uh, I think that, you know, I'm not saying, again, uh, that that's anything new or anything like that, but I just think it was actually good to see a positive game from him. This is probably, like, his best game of the season. Um, I You know, Reggie Bullock, I guess it, it would be doing him a disservice if we don't talk about his insane shooting night of that yeah, first I mean, game. I mean, even the second game, like, it wasn't the most wildly impressive second game, but, I mean, he carried over at a decent clip, went two for six from three, four for nine from the field. Actually got a few, like, uh, layups that were you know came off some like 50 50 balls and things of that nature so yeah, yeah. you know he <clears throat> the offense honestly seems like it's starting to get mended which is great I mean this is the turn that we see from him at like every you know turn of the new year but I mean the defense on the other hand is just still not there like that's like one of the main reasons as to why I would label him one of the more expendable players on the Mavericks you know not because of the offensive game, I'm happy it's turning around. And it, it really seems like I think we have like enough of a sample size to like say that's going in the right direction now, like from December onward, really. But the defense just isn't what it was last year. He's getting blown by a lot more often. He's, you know, his main asset that he brought defensively was his, to this team was the ability to guard one through three as good as he did, you know, his foot speed and his lateral quickness on full display. I mean, I'm almost like more comfortable like putting him on like bigger guys at this point because yeah, he's just kind of so quick to get blown by. It, it almost seems like it's more so that than any sort of like defensive intangible thing. It just seems like, I don't know, his foot speed, his athleticism starting to wane a little bit. That That's just my observation. Do you have any answers as to why his defense might be falling off? But, you know, <clears throat> before you answer that, like, like I said, for me specifically too, like, all power to him. That shooting game he had the first game was insane. You know, going eight for 10 from three off those Luca pick and pops. He was doing, he was being a great outlet in terms of that. And I mean, he carried it over in the second game. So all power, power to his offense. Um, but to speak to his defense, um, like I was alluding to, what do you think is the causation of this defensive fall off this year from Reggie Bullock? Yeah, you know, I don't really know if you can point it towards one thing. I think it's just a correlation of multiple things. Uh, I mean, he definitely, you know, producing as much as he did in that playoff series or really all playoffs long. I think that that definitely took a toll on his body. I know he had a shorter off season than most guys in the league. And, you know, also just being the sort of, especially through this stretch, he's had to been the main, the main defender on that starting five. Um, it definitely takes a toll on a guy's body, especially at his age. What I don't remember. What is he like? Did he just turn 30 or he's, I think 31 at this point, 31. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just it, it takes a toll. Uh, it doesn't matter how many minutes you play. It takes a toll. Yeah. He's 31. Um, He'll be uh 32 on March 16th. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So he's almost, yeah, almost 32. 
Um, I definitely think it'll be an interesting story to kind of see um, as we inch closer to the playoffs, if that sort of intensity, if that sort of energy that he brings or, and did bring uh, throughout last year kind of comes back a little bit, um, especially in the playoffs. Uh, but I mean, from here on out, every game matters. I'm interested to see, like I said, you know, as we inch closer, what kind of energy, what kind of hustle he brings. We've seen glimpses of it throughout games here and there, uh, but we just haven't seen a full game of him putting a, a, a true defensive stamp on anybody uh, this season. And I, you know, again, I, is that age? Uh, is he possibly doing with something that we don't know, an injury or whatever? Uh, I mean, it could be all everything. Um, I definitely think age factors into it. I know he had a neck injury uh, that definitely slows up your mobility earlier in the season. But again, it doesn't seem like he's had any bothering sort of l- lingering issue. Um, so I, you know, I don't really know unless there's something behind closed doors that we just don't know about. Uh, but in terms of his offense, at least uh, it has definitely been on the rise since the December, um, really since Christmas, honestly. Uh, but it's good to see him finally, you know, get a I think it was like his first game shooting or it was a career game he never made eight threes in a single game uh, so that was definitely good to see him knock some down um, but yeah defensively I just think it's you know every excuse that you can come up with him age maybe possibly an injury I think it all just pertains into why his production has been off yeah no I mean you bring some great points up there as to why that could be the case we technically don't know but It'll be interesting to see how long this carries over if he is able to turn the tide on that end a little bit. But right now, it definitely, you know, warrants him being probably a less valued player than he was for us last year. I mean, I think that's fair to say, especially with the emergence of Josh Green. Um, No, I mean, you if you look at our discussions that we had before the season even started, this was the for sure in doubt. uh, If you like, there was no discussion about it. Reggie Bullock was the guy you put on the main point guard. Now you know, without question, I would defer to Josh Green for that, st- for that uh, point. Uh, I just think, you know, I don't think we realize that his defense would decline as much as it did, but I mean, here we are. Yeah, no, exactly. That's a great point you make there. Um, Just shouting out some other guys that played in these matchups. We've obviously kind of covered everybody else. You, like you alluded to with Dio Pinson, he did a good job making some threes in garbage time in that first game. It didn't really get as much of an actual run as he did in the second game. He, he's a good four spacer. Um, you know, if his three-point shot actually starts coming along, he's, you know, four for, I guess, what would he be, like four for nine in his last two games? So if that ever starts trending in the right direction, that'd be interesting. We saw him as the lead – or bringing the ball up the floor, rather. I guess not the lead ball anymore. He kind of quickly deferred to, you know, Spencer or Jaden Hardy, you know, in these minutes in this last game. But he actually got a little bit of a run. Wasn't a complete liability on defense, you know, wasn't like Tim level or Spencer when he doesn't care on defense level, but it, uh, you know, he hasn't, he's definitely not as much of a splashy defender so much that it like kind of offsets the very inconsistent shooting and playmaking. So, I mean, I, I know that he's obviously the, you know, cheerleader and, you know, whatever other term you wanted to note to him in terms of being that guy that's the morale booster and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, he is a player on this team, and he does have a skill set. Now, it's kind of comes down to whether that skill set is going to be consistent enough for him to get, cons- um, you know, consistent minutes. But I don't think I was – I was happy he knocked down a few threes. I, I, I think he definitely furthered his case to – 
not be waived if the Mavericks ever had to do yeah. something this season uh, to at least kind of stick around uh, in case something happens. But I don't think these two games definitely move the needle for me in terms of being like, oh, if Theo Pinson needs to be part of the rotation. You know, I, I think that it's just merely due to the shortages that this team has because of injuries. Davis actually did halfway decent in these games. I mean, he, like, you know, typical black holeness on defense, but he had a couple interesting, you know, it, it was more reminiscent of last year's playoffs where he'd knocked down a couple threes and then he had like one or two possessions where it looked like he was actually an NBA basketball player on the defensive side of things. So I, I honestly wasn't too mad about that. Uh, I wish he would just do it more consistently. So his $16 million contract isn't, you know, because if, if he was able to do that more consistently, his $16 million contract would just be kind of seen more as a, you know, a very, a very large overpay versus like, you know, uh, 16 times or 16 fold overpay because he probably should be making about the minimum. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, maybe he at least at that clip is like a four or $5 million player when he can, you know, hit some shots and, you know, occasionally not be a black hole on defense, maybe one of every five possessions. So, you know, I'm happy he had a, a good two game stretch. I'm sure he'll kind of teeter in and out of the rotation as shooting is needed um, accordingly. McKinley Wright played solid in these last two games. I mean, nothing, nothing new from him. You know, got some minutes where he was asked to uh, handle the ball, made a couple shots, got into the paint, consistent, good defense. He had that one uh, block on Dame to, at the end of the third quarter yeah, of the second so game. That was really nice where he stepped up. And, you know, for a guy at 5'11", like literally my height to be able to get up like that, it's really impressive. So happy for him that he's still kind of sticking around the rotation. I'm really interested to see. I mean, I can't tell you for sure how everything's going to materialize but when everybody's fully healthy i'm really interested to see if any of those guys like mckinley wright novice Jaden hardy frank like how many of those guys actually kind of seep out of that i'm only playing right now because everybody's hurt uh part of the rotation to hey they can actually serve a couple minutes if need be um within the regular like nine ten man rotation that that's going to be interesting for me especially if we don't make a move or anything like that AJ Lawson got a little bit of run in both these games, admittedly, both of them in garbage time, but came in, played some solid defense and made a three and a an one. So good for him. I really like his profile as a player and just in terms of how he projects. I'd like to see him maybe get a little more run over Theo or, um, you know, just maybe seep into some minutes. I mean, I don't know. I, I think he's worth giving a shot at just as, in terms of how good he played in summer league, but. You know, didn't really get to play all too much, but it'll be interesting to see if he's, you know, he's contributing a little in garbage time if he gets any minutes going for. I think that's something to monitor. JaVale didn't play in the second game at all, but he played in the first game. Uh, he had like, it, it, it was kind of the full diet of JaVale McGee. You got like a really nice highlight block. I think it was on like Simons or something like that in that first game where he got the whole bench up and rowdy. And on top of that, you know, you alluded to this with Dwight Powell getting like mixed up in the pick and roll, obviously earlier and, you know, Lillard and Nurkic, especially when Nurkic starts stretching the floor, just being so hard to stop that sort of duo because their offense is able to kind of dissipate outwards from that, you know, whether they want to give it to Simons at that point, who has a mismatch or give it to Grant to just go one-on-one with some guy. But I mean, JaVale, he was no different from Powell and the fact that even even probably more so amplified from Powell. He was getting kind of lost on defense at times, unable to step up, especially when on Dame was getting blown by a lot, was allowing a lot of things to sort of seep through and um, wasn't able to protect the rim as well as you would have hoped. 
Um, he had a couple decent highlight plays, but I mean, besides that, it was typical JaVale. So, and yeah, I mean, I think that kind of like wraps it up. I think we gave, gave you guys kind of the full diet in terms of these two games, the offensive and defensive woes, but also the offensive positives, as well as, uh, you know, somehow these role players that we may not be seeing for too much longer once these guys come back from injury, how, you know, maybe a couple of them are able to kind of make their way out of this sort of territory of only getting to play because of injuries to possibly being at the end of the bench. So, I mean, it'll be interesting. It's a rough two-game stretch for the Mavs. I'm interested to see what happens tomorrow night against a uh, definitely waning and whining Hawks team that um, is having a lot of things kind of go wrong with their situation over there. Um, But they're obviously still pretty uber-talented, so I'm not going to put it past the Mavericks that it is going to be an easy game by any means, especially incorporating these guys back from injury, even if Tim's not playing. You know, I presume Luca is going to be back and Josh and Dorian. So I'm excited for next game to see what happens. I'm excited to see who all plays. Um, if, you know, seeing how Jaden Hardy's going to, if he's, I assume he'll still probably get some run with Tim being out and everything. It's going to be a fun game to watch. And, you know, it's a rough two game stretch. And, you know, we obviously talked a lot just regarding the direction of the team when we did our halfway marking podcast, we did our 41 game podcast. And we talked a lot about how this team, definitely you know how we wish that they could just pick a direction and you know go go one way whether that's contending or you know going to loser dome but at the end of the day um you know they're they're kind of in this state of mediocrity until whenever the time is moves to be made even if it's not this trade deadline whether it's over the offseason or whenever and you know you kind of tread the water and you know, we have to operate under the assumption that we we want this team to win and we want them to continue to do good and we want them to win games because that's just kind of the situation we are right now. That's where what Luca wants. And, you know, that's what we have to expect as a fan. So obviously a tough two-game stretch for the Mavericks, but nonetheless, hopefully we're able to bounce back here on Wednesday versus the Hawks. Um, if you, unless you got anything else, I think that's going to do it for us today, Jaren. Yeah, the, I pretty much summed it up. Um, I'm interested to see, you know, this could be a potential playing matchup, but – other than that, you know, the play uh, the Hawks are in the East. All right. No, no, no. I'm talking about the Blazers. My bad. Oh, uh, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> no, yeah no, no, I mean, no. I, I think a lot of people started to label the Mavericks in that, oh, they're a definite playoff team. I mean, I wouldn't go that far yet. I mean, everything's so tightly packed together in the West. It's starting to slip up over the last few, over these last five games, I would say. So, yeah, things um, are, things are getting volatile. I mean, who knows what the Blazers are going to take it from here because they had a little bit of a rough stretch. They seem to start. You know, they, they seem like they're starting to remediate things. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but it'll be an interesting little stretch here, to say the least. Um, but besides that, you can find us on YouTube, where we are now at, at the Mainstream Mouse Podcast on YouTube. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to us if you haven't already. Shout out to the YouTube gaming, YouTube gang for those of you guys watching us on that platform. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Mainstream underscore Mavs. We post updates, we post all our podcasts, and we live tweet during games, things of that nature. Make sure to, if you're listening on Anchor or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whatever podcast platform you are listening on, make sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating if you feel so pleased. And um, we appreciate you guys listening this far in the podcast, if you made it this far. And, I mean, that being said, um, I mean, yeah, we love y'all support. I, I was just trying to come up with some sort of a you know, little uh, – <laughs> I was trying to come up with a little like praise to the fans here. Cause I feel like I, I don't give you guys enough credit for those of you guys who do listen, support us. Uh, it really means the world to us. And we got a lot of different things that we're going to be doing over this next little stretch that we're excited about. So 
um, you know, we'll definitely be announcing that to you guys accordingly. And, you know, we'll be steadfast in how we're going to operate with that. So, you know, stay tuned for that. Um, but besides that, we will catch you guys in the next one. Um, we will be back Wednesday, Wednesday night after yeah. the Hawks game. There will be a surprise. There will be a surprise on the podcast. Oh, yeah, there will be. There All will right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.